and welcome to Be the Dead Source, your home for secondary surgeries. My name's Nathan, your most flu-free host. <laughs> My name's Andy, your most sequential host. And I'm Pat, and I'm your high fructose corn syrup host. Oh man, I I feel like I should have gone with vaccinated host. That sounds better than mm. flu-free. What is that? That's nothing. All right. I mean, I apologize to the audience. Probably overdue. The last time I got a bunch of vaccines was uh, when my nephew was born. But I think that you're good for a few years, right? Yeah. Generally, you get them like most vaccines you get when you're a baby and you're good. I did get <laughs> I got a tetanus shot when I was like 12 because it was hanging out in my friend's garage. And I was just like running around, messing around. And I uh, stepped on a board and when I lifted up my foot, the board came with it. And I was like, that's weird. And it turned out I had stepped on a big old nail. And the nail had driven into my foot and stuck the board to my foot. Wow. I was Ouch. not... I And I was a total badass about it. Like, I was like, oh, that's weird. I just stepped on the board with my other foot and then, like, pulled my foot off the nail. Oh, my God. And then the, oh. the kid got his mom and I was like, oh, that's weird. I stepped on a nail. And she freaked out. And that's when I was, like, started bawling like a baby. Because, like, until she freaked out, I was like, oh, whatever. Like, it's, I stepped on a nail, I guess. It's funny how you don't notice, like, bigger injuries, but, like, a paper cut you notice immediately. Oh, for sure. But, like, when something's really deep, you you just, like, you feel, like, pressure, but you don't feel it as acutely. Right. It turns out that a lot of our pain threshold is actually learned from when you're an infant. Like, depending on how your parents react when something happens, like if you bump your head or something, um, ba as a baby, like, babies don't know to cry until their parents start freaking mm. out. That's yep. really interesting. That's why I still cry every time I poop my pants. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I got nothing to add. I, I'm not going to comment on that. I just had to... Well, so how was how was your guys' weeks? Good. Good, good. We're, uh, like, this is a little bit weird in that we're in the, like, second part of a two-part episode. I think we've only done one other two-part episode, and that was, like, our first episode. Mm. You guys remember yeah, that... 14 episodes back? No. Not wow. at all. No. We were so young back but, then. Yeah, I know. We so full of hope. <laughs> so I'm definitely I mean, not now. I'm really not that. I mean, for the audience, it's a different week, but like, I don't feel that much different <laughs> than I did when uh, we stopped recording before. So, so I said a while back we were going through Book of Revelations in my Bible study. So now we are on some uh -huh. crazy part. We're on, we're on the part with the. Um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and like there's like nice. four living creatures and 24 elders and all these like visions of what is going to happen in the future and uh this is like the crazy like prophetic end times part of it so it's super interesting and there's lots of like symbols that refer back to other things that happened before, like in the Old Testament and stuff. So I found that to be really interesting. But fortunately, my friend who I'm doing the Bible study with is much more knowledgeable than me because I wouldn't get any of those references. But he but he knows right. how to be like, you know, okay, well, this is a reference back to Matthew 3-7. And 
See, that is always like people who can do that. I'm always so impressed by that. Yeah. Know? I mean, I don't like I'm I'm not religious in that way, so it wouldn't make sense for me to memorize the Bible. But like being able to have that kind of recall where you can say, oh, yeah, like Matthew 16 verse whatever, you know, it is always fascinating that people have like spent that much time. I was I respect those people a lot more than people who say they follow the Bible, but have never read it and don't have like any concept of what they're talking about mostly. right well I, I think the key to that is like spending your whole life doing it like if you spend right hours and hours and years and just like huge amounts of time then you know it in and out the way that like it's true of any religion but you've got those sunday morning christians mm-hmm. you know who they don't they don't live their faith they just attend on sunday mornings because that's what you do Right, yeah, I feel you. I, For my money, Revelations is definitely the most entertaining book of the Bible. Except for, man, I always have a soft place in my heart for Job. Because the two stories, there was, and I couldn't tell you the verse, chapter and verse for this. But uh, there's one part where he had two angels in his house. And the uh, townspeople tried to rape them. And he said, no. Don't rape those angels. Rape my daughters instead. And that was always fun. And then there's the other one where he and his daughters uh, leave town, hide out in a cave, and his daughters want to become pregnant, so they get him drunk, and they try and have sex with him. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff in there. It's not, (laughs) like... I think the first story was Lot, wasn't it? Was it Lot? Oh no, you're right. They're both and so, that was Sodom and Gomorrah. Job, Job was the guy that um like They're both lot. Sorry, they like, both like God was challenged by Satan, like, well this guy's only worshipful because you're nice to him. And God's like God's that's like, Nope, right. I'll I'll just take away everything that's good in his life. No, Lot Lot has a uh <laughs> he's got a hard lot in life. Oh, got him. Guys. Bew, 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 bew. I, I I actually think that that's where the joke comes from, or Maybe the that's expression so. comes from. Well, cool. I then I I did a good, but well, well. I think it might be a gambling there, term. Sir. I mean, like drawing lots. Mini fact check. It appears to be based on the word lot, in terms of luck or gambling. In fact, the phrase comes up itself again in the Bible, so it's unlikely the Bible influences itself. Ecclesiastes nine nine. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you, under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Mini fat check. Oh, that could But be. anyway, we had a... Uh, yeah, I, I think you might I'll be right. I'll throw in a, a anyway. totally unnecessary fact check here <laughs> for no reason. But I'm just saying, like... This the Psalm of Songs has porn in it, basically. Like, there's a bunch of parts of the Bible that are just buck wild. If you, I'm still, I'm still going through it, so I I can't say that I've like read 100 percent of it yet. No, no spoilers for Pat. Well, yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, I know the ending, Um, so (laughs) the devil Uh, did it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but Um, uh, yeah, I mean, anybody have anything exceptional happen to them since? We stopped recording a little bit ago. No. no. Um, do you guys want to hop back into healthcare? Right. Yeah, let's do it.
Healthcare 2. That sounds great. Healthcare 2. Uh, I already used the electric boogaloo joke. There's really no other good, like, sequel joke out there. Uh, you could say the uh, whatever strikes back, the healthcare strikes back or something. Oh, uh, that's good. I'm pretty sure I'm going to call the episode Healthcarelessness. What? Oh, that's not bad. I was going to say Revenge of the Nurse. <laughs> oh, uh, well, okay. Man, we should probably got hop back into it before we come up with some other terrible names. I think I want to get back to, if we can, the personal responsibility piece that we were talking about. I think Pat had mentioned that he doesn't want to have to pay. And like, forgive me if I paraphrase this and feel free to fix it. But it doesn't seem fair if people who do risky things like not take care of themselves or extreme sports or whatever are batched in with other people's risks. Like risk no, I think you hit it right on. That's exactly the point that I was trying to make. So, like, if we have socialized healthcare and it's coming out of everyone's taxes and everyone's sort of getting the same thing out of it, I, for one thing, I worry about people's personal responsibility that they will take that as an excuse to say, like, oh, well, I'm not going to worry about getting heart disease and having like risk factors associated with that or doing a bunch of drinking or doing a bunch of smoking or driving my car at like 130 miles per hour or, you know, whatever the risky behavior is because they're just covered. But and that's to a lesser extent. The, the other extent is that if I personally am trying to take really low risk behaviors, like I'm trying to keep in good health and have, uh, you know, a healthy diet and uh, do all of the things that will lower my risk for, for things like heart disease and cancer, then um, it's, I'm not necessarily being rewarded for that because my, my risk is being bundled up with everyone else's and maybe my good decisions are not being rewarded in the same way that they would be with a private insurance like that that would be a difference interesting so a uh, really quickly yeah. I want, uh, a point of distinction here pat used the term socialized medicine but he's really talking about a single payer healthcare sure. system yeah whatever you want to right. call it that is all just in the in, well no uh, in the interest of being consistent and being accurate i mean that's what our goal here is so i you know we want to use the and right I do, terms at some point that's all i feel like it would be nice for us we have gotten a, w- a bit away from our catchphrase of we should do an episode about that but i would like to do an episode about the villainization of socialism because it's every conservative's favorite uh boogeyman right well if you're if you're old enough you'll remember uh mccarthyism and you know, being called out for communists, like being um, vilified as a uh, part of this red scare. But also to get back to personal responsibility, I'm mostly pretty like pro-liberty, let people do what they want. The The problem with everybody's risk being bundled together is like, I would I would say it's a bad idea for us to have high fructose corn syrup. And like sugar, sugary trans sodas, trans fats, exactly. Like um, the existence of these unhealthy options, I feel like that is putting an undue strain 
on what are we calling it? The uh, healthcare system that is single payer. One, well, what I would say is you can talk about a number of things, but I think specifically trans fats and high fructose corn syrup are two things to look at from the point of view of personal responsibility, because it is virtually impossible to get away from them. Like, so people listen to this next time you go to the store, go through the bread aisle, go through like any aisle you want, but especially the bread aisle and try and find bread that doesn't have high fructose corn syrup in it or peanut butter or any number of other things. Like it's in butter sometimes, you know, it's in everything because the industry found out that they could make it incredibly cheaply. And so it's put in everything, not because it's a good choice, but because it was more convenient for the industry. And the same thing for, with trans fats. They don't they don't care about them because it's cheaper for them to use those than it is for them to use other more natural ingredients. Well, it's also a marketing thing. Like sweet things sell better um, if you add right. fried fructose corn. But I'm just saying you could you could sell you could sell sweet things with sugar, and they did do that at one point. For example, if you ever had Mexican Coke before, it's amazing because they only use sugar cane. They can't use high fructose corn syrup down in Mexico. So anytime you have a Coke that's made in Mexico, it tastes incredible. Uh, I think you're I think you're taking a different kind of Coke, but <laughs> no. But what I'm saying is, you could go ahead and sell sweet stuff and sell it with sugar or other natural ingredients. And I'm not I'm not pretending like sugar is good for you. But what I am saying is, sugar is a damn sight better for you than high fructose corn syrup is. Yeah, I mean the really gross thing about high uh, about trans fats. Do you guys know how they're made? It's actually kind of disgusting. So uh, I'm worried. I didn't like them before. I'm afraid I'm not going to like them so more after this. What it's called is partially hydrogenated soybean oil. You have saturated fats, which are um, they have hy- extra hydrogen atoms all over them, and saturated fats are the fats that come from generally from animals. Unsaturated fats have less hydrogens around them, and those generally come from plants and in a very general way like the unsaturated fats are better for you and the saturated fats are worse for you so what they do is they take this soybean oil and they heat it up with aluminum rods inside it and the aluminum rods shoot off these hydrogen atoms and they bind to the fat molecules but they don't fully saturate it. So when your body receives this partially hydrogenated soybean oil, it doesn't fully know what to do with it. So it either stores it as fat permanently that it'll never be able to burn, or it sits in your arteries and gives you atherosclerosis, which is like a precursor to heart disease. I just keep on in my head imagining a kitchen sink that's been clogged because somebody poured uh, bacon grease down the drain. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's even a little bit worse than bacon grease. So you can take um, this trans fat, the partially hydrogenated soybean oil, and put it out in nature. And animals and bacteria will not touch it. They, they <laughs> know that it's not food, and so they won't try to digest it or anything. They just leave it alone. The same thing with your body... Your body doesn't know what to do with it, so they can't 
your body can't properly use it as energy the way that you do with other types of fat. So it's really, really horrible for you. And it, what the, the industry use for it is as a preservative. You'll see it in like, I think it's been banned in certain states, but you'll see it in like convenience store food. You'll see it in like, I think combos for a long time had it. I'm not sure if they still do. Oh man, I love combos. Damn it. Like uh, the the snacks that you get, the little cakes and stuff that are pre-wrapped. You know how those just like never go bad? The, the reason they never go bad is trans fat. Sure, the old uh, the old story about the Twinkie factory surviving the apocalypse. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's from a movie, but... <laughs> so there's an episode of Family Guy about it. It's been around for years, uh, but they also used it in Zombieland. Zombieland was what I was thinking of, yeah. And that was Woody Harrelson's goal as a character is to eat a Twinkie. And he can he like always finds like the pink snowballs and like other hostess products, but can't find a damn Twinkie to save his right, life. Right, but certain certain states I think have completely banned trans fats. I believe that McDonald's yeah. has stopped using trans fats uh, because all these studies came out with just like how horrible it is for your body and how it just like it doesn't get used as nutrition at all. It is just sitting there as fat in your body. So you make a good point, but as counterpoint, uh, it does make delicious french fries. Is that anything? Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Boy, howdy, is this ever the exact reason why Fact Check is the most important segment of this show? I mean, yeah, I honestly wasn't paying that much attention to trans fats in general. I just kind of knew they were bad. And I should say, the way Pat laid out the dangers of trans fats is pretty much exactly on the money. So a round of applause for us there. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, you're too kind. Thank you. So where we screwed the pooch ever so slightly on this is where the Food and Drug Administration banned all trans fats in United States food as of June 18th, 2018. I want to get back to the show as much as you do, but as long as we're here, can I tell you about a particularly badass individual? I mean, I don't know why I'm asking. I'm going to do it anyway, and you can't answer, so here we go. The FDA didn't ban trans fats out of the goodness of their hearts or on their own. In 2009, a German-born biochemist and professor from the University of Illinois named Fred Kumaro filed a petition with the FDA seeking elimination of trans fats from the U.S. food supply. Dr. Kumaro happened to be 94 years old at the time. He'd been working with trans fats for his entire career, and had originally discovered that there were negative health effects in the 1950s. After the FDA hadn't acted on his petition for four years, Dr. Kumaro filed a lawsuit against the FDA in 2013, asking for the FDA to provide evidence that trans fats were safe, or to remove them from the food supply because, quote, Artificial trans fat is a poisonous and deleterious substance, and the FDA has acknowledged the danger. On June 16th of 2015, the FDA decided not to defend the lawsuit further and announced after a three-year ramp down that trans fats would no longer be allowed in U.S. foods. The ban is believed to prevent about 90,000 premature deaths a year, and the FDA estimates that the ban cost the food industry about $620 billion a year. Oh, boo-hoo. Companies are allowed to petition the FDA to use trans fats if they can prove they are safe, so far, none have. And that's it. Let's get back to the show. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. 
Well, so if if you are somebody who wants to eat these delicious French fries, and I'm like vehemently yeah. against the trans fats, my risk is being bundled up with yours just the same. You know, I'm not being rewarded for not eating trans fats, except in the idea that you know maybe I will live longer. But I'm gonna pay. I'm gonna pay for yeah, your I mean, uh, quadruple bypass just the same. Can I ask, Pat? You have health insurance now, right? Yeah. All right. So you're paying for somebody's quadruple. I know, bypass. but I, I. That's like but any I have the, insurance. So whether it's privately owned or or single payer, say through the government, what different? You're still paying for other people's procedures. So wouldn't it make sense for? To pool everybody's risk so that you don't have to pay as much for other people's procedures. If you can collectively bargain and get those prices down, then sure, I guess. But up until recently, I was able to elect to not have that insurance at all. I'm not saying that that is a great and wonderful idea, but if you're a young person that's healthy... You don't have any risk factors. You're not participating in like extreme sports. Your risk is much lower than someone else's. So, it, I mean, you would at least have the freedom to say, like, I don't want to buy into the system. I'm not recommending that anybody does that. No, I, I understand your point, but I mean, this gets back to the guy who says, I don't want health insurance, but when he gets sick, He's still going to go to the emergency room. Right. Up until the individual mandate, which as a part of the ACA really, really worried me because it's like a tax on being alive. Basically, what I'm hearing you say is if you're like that young, healthy person or a person really, well, a, a young person or a healthy person, someone kind of dedicated to being, that it's kind of a bad deal. Yeah. Right. So I guess... My thing is, no one is always that. No one is going to be young for their whole life. And when, if you're a healthy person, then you're likely more likely to live long enough to have worse health conditions in because you're living longer. Right. So my my argument would be... We're also not encouraging that. We're not incentivizing uh, that. That's a separate thing, but I'm, I'm, okay. I just want to talk about this one for now. Uh, when you're older and you're lo- if you're looking at it as like a snapshot of this person in, in time, yeah, it kind of makes sense that that person seems like they're getting ripped off or that it's a bad deal. But that's not the entire – you have to look at the, whole per- the person's whole entire life. Right. And over the span of their whole entire life, I think it, it at the very least looks like a, a, a wash, an, an even deal. And usually it would be – you make out. I can look up the statistic because uh, I don't have it at the top of my head, but I read somewhere that most people generally use about 90% of the total cost of their health care that they'll ever use in the last months of their life, in the last weeks of their life, because that's when you get your worst disease. That's when you spend the most of your time in the hospital. That's when you need the most physical therapy, things like that. And so... Yeah, it's a bad deal if you're 22 and you live to be 24 and you only used it for two years. Man, did you pay more than you should have for those two years? But if you live to be 70 or 80, it's a really, really good deal for you because you just because you're that young person who has low risk factors now doesn't mean you're always going to be that person. 
Doesn't mean you're always going to have those low risk factors. Mini fact check. Ouch, that's zero for two. So I looked up information about end of life care and U.S. health insurance, and it looks like we spend about 8.5% of our total on end of life care, which does not seem terrible to me. However, we spend almost 75% of the nation's aggregate health care spending, or about $5,300 per person each year, on chronic diseases. And back to the show. Mini fact check. Okay, so you also brought up the incentives issue, and I think that's also interesting. I think you do have a point to a certain extent that if you know you have healthcare coverage, you're more likely to maybe make some riskier choices. And I think in a in a way that's that's really kind of a good thing. If you have a more inviting healthcare system, uh, right now our healthcare system is very very intimidating. There's a statistic out there that about two thirds of bankruptcies are caused by a health bill, a medical mm. bill. So I'm not suggesting that a, a majority of visits to the doctor end up in bankruptcy. Of course, that's that's ridiculous. We know that that's not the case, but. What it does is creates a stigma around the healthcare system that you want to avoid going to the doctor. And this is what happens. We see it yeah. playing out all across America. People don't want to go to the doctor if they don't have to. And so when they do go to the doctor, it's way worse. It costs way more, etc. I talked to David in South Korea back when coronavirus started and he made this comment about how the South Korean, because it's a single payer system there and, and people just go to the doctor, even if they're just coughing a little more than usual. And I think that's what you want to encourage. That's the incentive you want. If you want to talk about what your healthcare system incentivizes you to do. The answer is it should incentivize you to go to the doctor more. So several, so, several countries, uh, like, asked their citizens to come back home from the U.S., to, to leave the U.S., to escape the healthcare system during the coronavirus crisis. Right. So that's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. We have, we, well, I've made this point already in the episode, but we have bad value in our system. We pay twice as much as, like, literally twice as much as the international average among developed countries, and we have worse outcomes than virtually all of them. I think breast cancer is one of the rare areas that we actually do better than other countries. And that's about it. Uh, not, not all of them. So I'm sure I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I will do the uh, fact check about what we're better at and what we're worse at, so I don't have those numbers in front of me. But I can tell you, with most things... We do worse than the international average for healthcare among developed countries. So you're talking about the top 30, 35 countries, somewhere in there. Right. I'll, I'll accept that. I, I, we're, we're better in things like, you know, infant mortality than, you know, Ghana. We're, we're very, or, we're still or pretty India. bad. Yes. I mean, yes. We are better than some countries that are worse than us, but we're worse than most countries and we pay twice as much as them. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like getting a bad deal, that's that's already the case. We are getting a really deal in our health care right yeah, now. It'd be one thing if we paid twice as much and we had 
the just the best healthcare in the world, but we pay twice as much and we have bad healthcare. Okay, but where where is that money going though? Like that seems ridiculous to me. Like administration. Why? I'll tell why you right sh- off. It's administration because there was, and again, I'll do a fact check on this uh, probably earlier in the episode, but I think in 2017, we paid something like $820 billion in one year in administration, and Canada spent like $200 billion. Right. I mean, and also, if, if you don't get the right insurance to match the hospital that you're in... They, they'll right. start charging you like, you know, $50 for a bag of saline or like $5 for an Advil. Yeah. And I, and I know I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but if you don't have insurance in the U.S. right now and you're hospitalized for COVID, it's going to cost you anywhere between forty six dollars and $74,000. And chances are, if you don't have health insurance, you don't have an extra forty six dollars to $74,000 sitting in the bank. Remember when they said, don't worry about the cost, just go ahead and go to the doctor? <laughs> that was Trump who said that. And then insurance companies immediately were like, no, 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 we're going to cover testing. We will not cover treatment. <laughs> like, yeah. So, well, and Andy, I, thought, like I, thought Bernie's, I thought Bernie actually said that. Nope. Uh, fact check for when Bernie said, don't worry about the cost, go ahead and go to the doctor's. Because he said that on the campaign trail. We are the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people. We're spending so much money, and yet we are not even prepared for this pandemic. How come we don't have enough doctors? How come hospitals in rural areas are shutting down? How come people can't afford to get the prescription drugs they need because we have a bunch of crooks who are running the pharmaceutical industry, ripping us off every single day? And I'll tell you something right now. In the midst of this epidemic... You got people in the pharmaceutical industry are saying, oh, wow, what an opportunity to make a fortune. So the word has got to go out. I certainly would do this as president. You don't worry. People of America do not worry about the cost of prescription drugs. Do not worry about the cost of the health care that you're going to get, because we are a nation, a civilized, democratic society. Everybody, rich and poor, middle class, will get the care they need. The drug companies will not rip us off. Okay. If okay, here's the thing, you find that for me, and I'll be I'll be happy to stick it in here. All right, grand. So what I was I, I was gonna kind of take us on to a slightly different topic, but since it kind of came up, though, um, I, I just kind of figured let's let's get on these rails. Um, I was just gonna say there's one other thing, an idea I wanted to bring up before we get too far away from personal responsibility. Oh yeah, and um, incentives. If I could just really quick. What would you guys think about the idea of a tax break if your doctor confirms that you're not a smoker and that your BMI is within these levels? Instead of saying you have to pay more if you have these risk factors, saying you pay less, you get a tax break if you go ahead and stay healthy within these parameters. As long as we're not taking people at their word, if, if we're doing some kind of test, to, yeah, it would to absolutely have to be the doctor. To objectively determine that, that sounds pretty okay to me. I don't know. I, I get a little bit wary around any form of behavioral programming from the government. Yeah, that's true. So I, I have some misgivings. I have misgivings. I, uh, look, I think I, I look around and I am like constantly in 
awe at the fact that there are still so many smokers in the world. Like That's I, what I I'm th- saying. It's 2020. Are you serious? Why are you still doing that? You have, <laughs> but like I, I, I think it's remarkable that people don't how how little people, but uh, don't change their behavior. But I also do think that there's a lot of generational things, and I don't know. I just I get nervous about any involvement the government tries to have with people's personal behavior. So so this is my authoritarian showing, and this flies in the face of all of the stuff that I said about personal liberty and, like, being in favor of personal liberty. But, like, put me in charge, and I'll just ban cigarettes. Just ban trans fats. <laughs> just ban high fructose corn syrup. No one else can have soda anymore. We're just not going to do it. See? Wow. Man. I, I mean, that's, that's, voting that is, you. yeah, that is definitely a, a hard uh, right turn from where you normally are. Okay, but like, it's just, it's so stupid, especially if we're all going to pay for each other's health care. Like, yep. why do we just have terrible options that literally like kill people? You know, usually the Food and Drug Administration would say like, you know, if your product is killing people, then we're not going to let you sell it. In the U.S., if I started putting glass shards in the pills that I was selling people, they would shut me down really fast. I don't see why that's very different from cigarettes. Because the tobacco lobby has paid off politicians for decades. Because they've been powerful for decades. So so does history, does history really cloud the the effects that a product has like why don't we look at that objectively yeah absolutely i'm i'm on board i will say i like the idea of an incentive for doing the right thing as opposed to a deterrent for doing the wrong thing because in general i feel differently about smoking than i do about trans fats because they're both terrible but your trans fats aren't going to affect me they're not going to affect my family if you decide to eat those french fries next to us but if you smoke next to me for a long-ish period of time, that is going to uh, affect my health negatively. Well, it'll affect your taxes if we start doing single-payer. Yeah, but it will uh, ultimately like save me a ton of money. So it'll be awesome. I'm totally on board. It'll save me money both uh, from my paycheck, because, yeah, I'm going to have a line where my taxes went up, but I'm going to have a line where I pay $0 in medical insurance, so that's going to be awesome. And then when I go to the doctor, I'm not going to pay any deductibles. I'm not going to pay any copays. I'm going to be able to go to the doctor, get seen, and then walk out. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I also just, I really don't trust the average person's decision-making. I mean, that's true. And I don't like, I don't like being linked up with that financially. <laughs> but you already are. Because you, you, you pay for insurance. You're still linked up to them the same way you'll be linked up to them if uh, we nationalize it, although you will be paying significantly less and they will be much more likely to do the right thing if uh, you do have universal health care. I'm, I'm real sticky on it. I, I, think, I think there's a line between encouraging doing certain behaviors and rewarding certain behaviors like i think it would be one thing if the government were like putting up posters about anti-smoking you mean propaganda but to outlaw cigarettes is a step too far that really doesn't work as well as incentivizing incentivizing 
changes people's behavior. But that's what scares me. That's exactly what scares me. Have you guys seen the statistics that apparently, and I'll double check this because I'm not at all sure it's true, but I think it's true and I love it that teenagers who went through the D.A.R.E. program are actually more likely to do drugs than people that did not go through the D.A.R.E. program. Mini fact check. There are a number of studies you can find, but the best summation of how effective the D.A.R.E. program was comes from a quote I found in an article on LiveScience.com called, Was D.A.R.E. Effective? Quote, Every subsequent study on the effectiveness of D.A.R.E., including a major 10-year investigation by the American Psychological Association, found much the same result. The program doesn't work, and in fact is counterproductive, leading to higher drug use among high school students who went through it compared to the students who did not. Because of those studies, D.A.R.E. lost federal funding in 1998. Mini fact check. That could have, I mean, I think if you are looking at that statistically, that that could have happened by chance. I'm wary to conclude that there is an effect. Oh, absolutely. No, I, well, causation, or wait, what, what's the line again? Correlation does not imply causation. Exactly. I'm not saying that one is connected to the other, but what I will say is the D.A.R.E. program is not connected to people doing less drugs. Clearly, well, yeah. Well, that's fair. I wonder, actually, if... I would I would even believe more that the causation goes the other way that those kids who were more likely to do drugs anyway were the kids that were targeted by Dare. Dare didn't actually do anything, but since Dare was administered to more a lot more high-risk kids than low-risk kids, the numbers played out the way they did. But but really by by the time that we were coming of age that was already a joke. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that, yeah. that was... Oh, for sure. That was not seriously... That was like an 80s thing, where, where they were seriously considering Dare to be yeah, a it, it was Yeah, it was late 80s. That was, like, Nancy Reagan, her big thing was <laughs> drugs. And so that came about... I'm not saying because of her, but you, during that same time, because that was th- her big push. I think you mean, like, the war on drugs, not doing drugs. Nancy Reagan, I don't think she did drugs. She she smokes so she was, much Chiba. She was way too <laughs> uptight. Way too uptight to be a user. Yeah, maybe she should have, though. It's not related to what we're doing at all, but I am going to go ahead and definitely link a picture of Nancy Reagan sitting on Mr. T's lap in the doobly-doo. Because <gasps> it's hilarious. <laughs> I love that right now. So, costs of healthcare. Um, I, I wanted to kind of tra- change directions a little bit to how Let's those costs got so high. And what are some of the problems, systemic problems, that have led to this ballooning of medical costs? <laughs> are you asking? Right. Well, I mean, the drug industry is a big one. Yeah, and the pharmaceuticals, and there's a lot of problems tied up in, with that. Both, well, uh, there's a whole push-pull thing with how they lobby and buy out Congress people, right. who then in turn extend their copyrights and... They do all sorts of super shady, unethical practices to retain a monopoly on a particular drug formula for a very long time so that they can charge whatever they want for it. Right, but don't don't you still want to, like, incentivize people to come up with new life-saving drugs? Like, don't you want to reward that sort of research? Like, don't you want what? those people to be well-paid? I would put them on a Wheaties box. 
make him like popular. <laughs> I don't understand, Pat, how a single payer healthcare system would de incentivize that. So just because that a single payer healthcare system just has to do with how the insurance is handled and and the payments of of medical costs, but medical research is a whole separate arena. It's a separate industry. I mean, it's related, but how I got there was talking about the drug companies and saying like we need to do something governmentally about them being able to charge whatever price they want so that you can so that anybody can can work on and develop new drugs you mean any any time that you are going to say as a government like okay you can't have that patent anymore or we're going to start producing generics for these life-saving drugs that is awesome i'm totally in favor for that i don't want to lose the idea that we're still doing good research and so maybe we need to put government money towards that for for life-saving drugs but i i don't want to lose the innovation the incentive for people to be on the cutting edge yeah. of uh medical pharmaceuticals i think after we're done here i'm gonna literally google whether the u.s because i think we all have and i have it in my head and i think everybody does that we are the number one country on earth that comes up with new innovative drugs and i wonder if that's true because i'm just i'm just taking it for granted that it's true based on like having heard that in the past so i'm gonna throw in a fact check here even if it just says yep it's true but I'm going to go ahead and throw it in because I've never asked that question before. I've never looked it up before. Back check, back check, back check. According to a study published in the American Journal of Public Health, quote, the United States accounted for 42% of prescription drug spending and 40% of the total GDP among innovator countries and was responsible for the development of 43.7% of NMEs. NMEs are a drug that does not contain an active moiety previously approved by the Food and Drug Administration. A moiety means each of two parts in which a thing is or can be divided. How many levels deep am I going to have to go in this fact check? This is like inception here. The United Kingdom, Switzerland, and a few other countries innovated proportionally more than their contribution to GDP or prescription drug spending, whereas Japan, South Korea, and other countries innovated less. Higher prescription drug spending in the United States does not disproportionately privilege domestic innovation, and many countries with drug price regulation were significant contributors to pharmaceutical innovation. So, there you go. Back check, back check, back check. I will say, I think any system that's based on profit when it comes to healthcare, their goal is not to make us healthy. Their goal is to make money. And that is problematic. I agree. Their ultimate goal is not going to be to make us the healthiest society possible. Their goal is going to be to make us just sick enough where we have to stay on medication forever. So that way we keep on taking their product and buying their product because it's for profit. I don't think that it's always problematic. I think when you're talking about how doctors 
prescribed drugs and things like that, yeah, that's a big problem. If if that's profit driven instead of um or, or or you know, who's admitted to the hospital and things like that. That if that's profit driven, um, that's a problem for sure. But um I do think and, and, and I think it's been completely and utterly mishandled in the United States, but I think that the private sector has that innovative driving force, so to speak, uh, the competitive, the competitive nature of the, of the, the private market. So if it is, it's like a cannon and if you point it in the right direction, it can, it can really get you far. But if you point it in the wrong direction, like it is right now, it's a big problem. So right, I think that cannon is, I think that cannon is pointed uh, squarely at boner pills right now. That's what I was about to say. Um, and hair replacement and like, right. So that's a big, that's a big problem, but that's because of the incentives and the incentives right now are, are basically like, who are they marketing to? They're marketing to us. Oh, you guys are, you guys are missing the number one seller. The number one seller is the opioid crisis. Oh, well, that's true. And Hydrocodone and Oxycontin. When we know from memos from these companies that they did it on purpose, Mm. there, there's, uh, I, I forget, um, what it was. I'll look it up, but there's a memo to the point of, oh, they're gobbling them up like Skittles. We gotta, we gotta release more of these things. They knew that people were abusing them and they wanted it to happen. There's part, parts of the country where you'd have, a, a city with a population of 1,300 getting enough pills for a quarter million people. Mini fact check. Here's a small sample of a 2009 email sent by Victor Borelli, a national account manager for Malincrot, a drug manufacturer. He sent it to notify Steve Cochran, a sales executive at a drug distributor, Keysource Medical, that a shipment of oxycodone tablets was on its way. Cochran replied, keep them coming, flying out of there. It's like people are addicted to these things or something. Oh, wait, people are. Borelli wrote back, just like Doritos, keep eating. We'll make more. Similar emails have been exposed by the lawsuits against Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson. Mini fact check. So these companies are totally at fault for these things. They are criminally negligible, and they're murderers. Right, but but we're not really legislating against them very hard. Well, no, because if you're rich, nothing happens to you. That's USA. That's America. Well, that seems like a bad situation. Like, isn't that a problem? <laughs> right, and I think for a lot of this stuff, we, we talk about this stuff with uh, UBI and healthcare and all these different things, there's a bunch of issues that we need to fix to fix this issue. It's not one thing. It's all a spider web of different things that need to be fixed. It is, but there's a few commonalities. And the biggest one is, at least in my mind, there's that, that seems to just pervade every issue in America is money in politics, people in special interest groups being able to lobby Congress effectively to get legislation in their favor. This is a problem in health care. This is a problem in uh, real estate and housing. This is a problem in you freaking name it. Uh, We definitely need to overturn Citizens United. Oh, I hate that. I I was pretty scared when that got passed. 
And we're like, I don't want to turn this episode into that. We'll go ahead and do an episode no. on Citizens but United because I think there's at least an episode there. I think we've made oh, that yeah. episode, but so, yeah, we can come back to it. We should do it. an episode about that. <laughs> we've, we've referenced it in an episode. We definitely haven't done an episode on it. Yeah. But the other thing, so when you're talking about for-profit healthcare, I think what goes hand in hand with that is corruption. You have corruption in the industry that's so deep-seated into it. People just expect to be overcharged. One of the few things that we can point to Trump and say, hey, that's not a bad thing that you did, was he signed into legislation, um, I forget what it's called, but the transparency in billing for when you go to a hospital. They have to tell you exactly what they're going to charge you for what that, That's fantastic. And that just wasn't I, true I think before. that that's yeah. a, a laudable yeah, but move. I think we mentioned at the... <laughs> right. But for me, I think I mentioned at the time... It's an extra rung on the wrong ladder. Like, we need to be climbing de- all the way down the ladder and getting on a new ladder. And what he's done is just, like, put an extra rung up the wrong ladder. Uh, I mean, to me, progress is progress. Uh man. But it's... I feel like we have this rotten system now that needs to be torn up completely. So it's not a bad thing that he did it. It's fine. It's just not ultimately helpful because it's going down the wrong path. So this is all tied up with, and I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but now I just got to yeah. dump it out here. Something about American healthcare that drives me nuts is something that is so ingrained in our life that we don't even think about it. Um, but the degree to which these pharmaceutical companies specifically are marketing to us, not to you know, doctors, hey, we can help your patients with this. This pill can help with that, right? No, they come to us. They have ads on TV. We, we know that their formula, like we know those ads They're And yeah, that's, that's illegal. They don't have them in other countries. And it's hilarious because those ads, if they're 30 seconds long, 15 seconds of those ads are like, a couple like riding their bikes in, on a forest lane while they describe all the different side effects of that pill. Like you're yeah. going to die. You're going to go blind. All this terrible stuff is going <laughs> to happen to you. But we've learned to tune that stuff out because they've realized what symbolism they yep. have to put on right. the TV to make us look at it, but not pay attention to what they're saying. And it's so deep seated. So, so most most countries have made that most most countries have made that yeah. illegal. You can't do that anywhere else in the world. And and here we are. I mean, we are so we are up to our eyeballs in it that that we just it's like the uh, the the joke about there's two fish and one fish says, uh, "Oh, the water's good today," and the other fish goes, "What's water?" <laughs> right? And we're just we're it's just a part of our life. We don't even think about it. And the fisherman says, "Ah, talking fish." Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if we want to get sidetracked on this tangent, but um, there there are a couple of uh, like antidepressants and ADHD medications that were just so common in the '90s. I don't know what they're doing now. If that's if that's still very prevalent, but I I can remember a time Ritalin and Siler. Yeah, Ritalin was in every classroom. I was on Siler for a while. And I had some negative effects from it. I I was suffered. I think I still suffer from ADHD now, but I'm not diagnosed, so I don't want to pretend like I know that I am. But I had it pretty bad when I was a teenager and a, like a young teenager. And I basically 
I had these negative side effects from taking this drug, so I decided not to take it anymore. I talked to my parents about it and everything and had to learn different ways of paying attention and having ADHD at the same time. But I can't handle artificial banana flavor anymore because those pills had it and they made me feel awful. So to this day, I will not eat anything that has artificial banana flavor. Do you, do you know what kind of drug it was? Was it an upper, like an amphetamine base? I should I should know better than I, I do. I can go ahead. I'll, I'll put a personal fact check right here because I know it was called Silert and go from there. Mini fact check. Man, nothing makes you feel dumber than having to look up medication information and trying to pronounce different things. Silert or Pemeline is a central nervous system stimulant. Pemeline is structurally dissimilar to the amphetamines and methylphenidate. It is in the... <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? Oxazolidine compound and is chemically identified as a 2-amino S-phenyl 2-oxalin 4-1. If you understand what any of that means, you're a better person than I am. Because of its association with life-threatening hepatic failure having to do with the liver, Silert should not be ordinarily considered as the first-line drug therapy for ADHD. So, there you go. Mini fact check. Right, so so they had amphetamine family drugs that they were giving out for ADHD, and then they had SSRIs that they were giving out for depression. SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and so what they do is they block a certain neurotransmitter from being uh, reabsorbed into your neurons, so they stay out in your system, like, interacting. Um, so, so instead of being absorbed back and, uh, you know, stored for when you need them again, they, they're just bouncing around. And some of the side effects from the SSRIs are just, yeah. like, horrible. So, like, I, I think that they were, like, massively over-prescribed. Doctors were looking at pretty normal behavior from kids and just prescribing them pills for, well, for so relatively normal behavior. I actually know a little bit about this. So the the reasonable upper end of how many uh, children have this is somewhere around uh, 5%. And there have been there are parts of the country at certain times where doctors have diagnosed up to a third of specifically young white boys for whatever reason with this. So thirty, like if five percent is what you could reasonably expect to see in this group, thirty three percent of them were diagnosed and given medication for it. Mm. So it's not great, right? And and that's also like a group. I'm, this might be. Uh, extrapolating a little bit, but that that seems like a group that would be able to pay for medication that you could prey on because they have a availability of funds to to pay for uh, superfluous medication that's completely unnecessary. Yep. If I can take us in a or or <laughs> come on, kind of yeah, get back pivot. into pivot. I'm 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 actually going right back to but but. We we were talking a little bit about like how the healthcare costs have ballooned, and 
I made a distinction earlier between um, universal healthcare coverage, single payer healthcare systems, and socialized medicine. Those are three separate things. But there's another distinction I made at the beginning of the episode, or, or I guess at the beginning of part one. Um, the difference between the healthcare industry and the healthcare insurance industry. And I think a big, big thing sure. that has caused a lot of problems with the healthcare industry is the interaction between those two. Um, there's a, a pretty standard practice for um for hospitals to bill health insurance companies way over what they ought to um just to see what they can get out of the insurance and then the insurance will say no no we're not going to do that and so in the meantime you get a bill for like thousands and or tens of thousands of dollars um which as far as you know, you're now all of a sudden expected. It's a terrible thing. It's the, the, the right yeah, because it's a it's a negotiation. You're never actually going to have to pay that. But. Well, and in some cases, well, but in some cases, you also do have to pay it because while you get that bill, they're still talking to your insurance company, and often your insurance company yeah. is denying legitimate claims. So you also maybe you know in your head, oh, I'm probably not going to have to pay this, but you also don't know that. Because the corrupt insurance agency will deny legitimate claims and force you to call them and advocate for yourself instead of just like, I have this policy, it should cover this, cover it. See, see this is Don't my this is my problem with healthcare insurance being a for profit industry. the The basic premise is saying like, okay, we are going to bundle all of your risk together. You guys are going to play pay a flat fee. And then we're going to make a profit on paying out less than you gave us to pay all of your medical bills. And in, in order to ensure that that profit is maintained, we're going to deny claims. If you become a bad risk, we will drop you from our insurance. Like right. that, that just, we won't, we won't insure you at all if you have these pre-existing conditions. I mean, it's yeah. when you I, you talk about a lot how you feel like certain things are thievery and part of this is and part of it is not. I don't think the idea of pooling risk and them charging you more than ultimately they're going to spend is thievery because that's called capitalism. What I do think is thievery is for them to sign this contract with you and say, we're going to cover these things and then not cover those things. Can I? That is thievery of the highest. I want to just object really quickly to calling that capitalism. That's not what capitalism is. That's not what capitalism is about. That is something that nasty people do within a capitalist system. But that is not what capitalism is about. And that's a conversation for another time. But it. But no, like providing an. Providing a service that you make money for is exactly capitalism. I mean, maybe I'm not like maybe I'm not describing the, the whole it well, overcharging but... and and doing taking unethical practices to try to squeeze every penny sure. you can out of something. That's not, absolutely that's not in the spirit of capitalism. No, that's that is not I, the what I was referring to as capitalism is all right. We know it's going to cost yeah. us X amount of dollars in in this region. To pay for insurance, we're going to go ahead and charge them a 15% upcharge yeah, over okay. what we think it's going to cost us. Yeah. 
I'm with you there. Bada boom, bada bing. That's capitalism. I'm going to double down. I would say that the health insurance company that doesn't do that, if everyone else is getting away with it, like if the whole ocean of healthcare insurance providers are all getting away with that, but you are the one ethical company that doesn't do that, you're going to get outcompeted. Right. I will will make you feel better and tell you there is not a health insurance company yeah. like that. There's there's no ethical <laughs> health insurance companies out there. And I think the whole system, both insurance and healthcare altogether, they make their money by being shady. You don't know what you're going to be paying. When you get your prescription at the doctor, I freak out because I don't know if this is going to cost me $3 or $150. Right. That that might be the strongest case for me personally to to have single payer is because of the the corruption that we have now in healthcare insurance. I don't I don't like healthcare insurance companies. Well, healthcare insurance companies. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Tear down the ladder. So Pat, I'm going to I I'm I'm going to pounce on your vulnerability now <laughs> and say it is absolutely totally yeah. possible and exists in, in in several countries to have a a a, a, a single payer insurance single payer uh, universal coverage which is just the insurance that goes through basically through taxes and stuff but the but keep the actual healthcare administration in just, you know I don't mean the administration like oversight but administration like um giving of healthcare uh that can stay yeah. privatized is all but private but that's wild to me because like you guys don't trust government and I understand that and that's fine I don't trust industry. I don't trust them. I would much, much prefer to trust a government entity than I would a private entity because we get screwed so, every day by these private entities. I'm not saying we don't get screwed by government, but at least the intention of government, uh, their stated goal would be to develop a cheap, efficient system. Whereas with private entities, that's not their goal at all. I think that when it comes to – I think a, a good analogy here, of course not perfect, but it's a common analogy, but I do think it's a, it's a useful one, is to, is to look at the, the BMV. So there are, uh, okay. there, are, there are BMVs in, in the state of Ohio here that are government-run, and there are some that are franchise-owned. They're privately owned, and it's night and day. I mean – you go into the government run ones and it's a dump and there's no one cares. And I mean, it's all of those bad stereotypes, maybe not quite as extreme as, as people make it out to be, but, but you see where those come from. Right. But if you go to those franchise zone and, and you, oh, yeah. and your wait is like it's three ridiculous. and a half hours or something. And not good. You don't get any help so, in the people. And, and those stereotypes aren't, I mean, yeah, they're, they're blown out of proportion, but they do come from somewhere and it's evident. But if you go to. You the, heard it here first, folks. Andy yeah. thinks that all stereotypes are real. Right. So <laughs> anyway, if you go to the franchise owned <laughs> ones, um, they're, they're clean. They're orderly, they've got comfortable chairs, they've got coffee or water while you wait. Like, it's actually almost pleasant. And I think the the lesson to draw here is, if the healthcare part of that, of the industry, were separated from the insurance side of it, if if the insurance was run all through the government and that was just sort of the way it was, 
then the hospitals and doctor's offices really all they they have to get your business is quality of care and that and for that reason i think then now if they will compete with each other to give the best quality of care and the best experience in order to get your business that and that's really the only tool that they have so i think um in, in if you again it comes down to incentives mm-hmm. yeah no and i i if we were not so far down the awful healthcare path I think that that might work and something like that, I don't know, might very well work in a new system that we create, but right. there would have to be some pretty serious guardrails for how would you, those Would you want to create work. that new system on, say, a desert island? So, so if I may, so I, I mostly <laughs> agree with your, uh, your central point there that, you know, you can't 100% trust private industry to do the right thing. I'm totally on board with that. I think that you also can create either heaven or hell with this merging of government and private industry. And I can give an example. So um, the worst case scenario is yeah. when you have the government saying you have to do something, but we're going to let private industry determine what you pay for it. So for example, the, the individual mandate, like we're going to say, we're going to lock you in a room with these insurance providers and you can't come out of the room until you've struck a deal. They have absolutely no incentive to give you the right deal. They're going to give you the deal that they want. Obamacare bent us over a barrel so that the healthcare industry could do us in the butt. But the opposite merging of private industry and government where you say, like, we're going to let the market decide what is the best for this thing, but the government is just going to make regulations that keep things on the rails. So we're, we're going to say, like, you can't poison people with the Food and Drug Administration. Or we're going to say, like, you know, you can't make automobiles that explode and kill people. I'm on board with sure. not exploding automobiles. Can I give... An even more direct, uh, more recent example of this, during the bill that was passed for coronavirus for small business and where we all got our $1,200 checks, uh, they decided to pair up small business and government and have banks distribute these small business loans. And you know what happened? Big businesses got the small business loans. And it turns out afterwards that the banks took in $10 billion dollars in profits from fees from distributing these loans. So uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, again, corrupt, incentives. Terrible. Where what's awful. what the banks were then basically just handed money from the government. They were said they were told, "Oh, it's small business loans. Pass it out." And so they said, "Okay, where can we pass it out and make the most money?" Cuz that was the only incentive left to them. Or the Trump administration, which I think is more what happened, or the Republicans said small business loans and then winked a bunch of times <laughs> and then pointed to their nose. I think that's exactly what happened. I, I think if we get a video recording of... Right. So if you're going to do things see. stupidly, then the government really is no better than private industry. You've, you've got me there. 
Um, and and completely unregulated private industry would Shocker. you know have us working in sausage factories where our fingers get cut off and fall into the sausage and nobody does anything about it or there's or there's rat feces in the sausage. References to like the you know the gilded barons, the gilded age. When you said sausage factories, it sounded dirty and funny to me. And then you said rat feces, I... and then it sounded dirtier and and. And not but, at all yeah, sexy. The wrong kind of dirty. Right. So so the, the free market can be problematic if it's left to run rampant. You know, I mean, I don't think that the the invisible hand of the market is just a benevolent, perfect force. I think you need to keep you need to keep things on track. So and I think that uh, here's where I uh, and I'm gonna make an allusion to my man Robert Reich. Um but <laughs> you love Robert Reich until he starts talking about billionaires and then you're like you stick your fingers in your ears and like I've never heard of the guy before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just so I don't have to agree with everything he says. That is true. I totally agree with that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Uh in in his book Saving Capitalism, he talks a whole lot about how it I I like to think of and I feel like this uh, analogy may have come up before. It's like bowling. All right, now you're back in the sexy, dirty space. Yeah. So if you're if if you if you go to a bowling alley, but they don't have any lanes, they've got some pins at one end, and they've got a big giant wooden floor, and then they've got bowling balls over here that you can pick up and roll. Right. It's absolute chaos, and no one has a good time because no one knows what's going on. Right. So the government's right. role is to basically be these lanes okay here's what you're doing you're gonna roll the ball here if you roll it too far over here <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get nothing you you get a gutter if you roll too far over there you get a gutter so here's your lane stay in it and then and then government bailouts are like the little things that come up in the gutters so that way you can't miss yeah the bumper the yeah, bumper the lanes and and ugh, bailouts are so bad but at any rate yeah I think that that you know, just for like a visual painting with broad brush, broad brush strokes here, obviously. But I think that kind of a mentality of the government's role is to basically dictate the rules of the game, but not to play it. Right. I th that makes a lot of sense for me in most situations. But also, I'm a reasonable person, and I do not think that that is every scenario. Sometimes, maybe the government should be go ahead and play as well, right? But the the government mostly is right. supposed to be the umpire. Well, and it, it's nice because I think what the government at its best should do, if it does interfere, like we've talked about, you take universal health care, for example, what they're going to do is they're going to go ahead and set a floor. Like maybe they're not going to provide the service that everybody wants, but they're going to provide a good service that's going to get done what you need. And then maybe somebody can step in and improve on that service. And that's fine. But... I think for so much stuff, I am for creating a floor because we don't have them now. Our floor right now is dying in the gutter. Right. So so to take the baseball analogy, so now instead of the government being the umpire, now the government is not only a team, but also every single team. And the owners. And the owners. No, Pat. That, that would be socialized medicine, like, say, maybe in England, but... If but what Nathan was describing there is pretty much the the Pete plan, the the Medicare Medicaid for all who want it. Which in that case, in the analogy, the government is 
uh, one of the pitchers you could choose to have pitched to you. You could have the government pitch to you. Yeah, I was I, I was yeah. going to say take take me back to baseball because <laughs> all I understand is baseball. So uh, so Pete Buttigieg yeah. is <laughs> right. home plate. So in, in like yeah, I can say okay, I know that the. I know the government's going to lob something nice and easy over the over the plate that I can hit. And then Amy Klobuchar is the referee. But if I want someone who's going to give me something faster that I can really take a, a big swing at and hit a home run with, maybe I want a different pitcher. But I have choice. That's the Pete plan, in my mind, the way I I mean, describing it. it that way doesn't sound terrible. Which means it's really the Andy plan. Right, and Tom Steyer is the guy selling hot dogs in the stands. I miss Tom Steyer. <laughs> I wish I, I wish he had done a little better. Hey, as far as billionaires go, he's he's okay. He's fine. Whatever. He was a it was a slow boil for me with him. I he he took a little bit of warming up to. At first, he was like just another you know super rich white dude, but um, I dug him, man. I dug him. He was not a bad one. Proof that there are decent billionaires. Still in, inherently unethical, but fine, no. whatever. <laughs> anyway, so enough baseball. So yes. hockey then. So, all right, so who's the puck? Oh, Barack Obama is the puck. Oh, man, I was I was doing well on baseball because I understood it. So so how are we going to fix the whole thing? Nathan, so you're, you're in charge of fixing the whole thing. You're going to fix it tomorrow. What's what's your plan? Like, what what are you going to do to make healthcare better? Okay, so here's my thing for pretty much all of these. I think if you are someone who listens to our episodes, you're going to hear the same type of thing coming out of me a lot, is that I'm not an expert on any of these things. What I am advocating for is I think politicians especially have stuck their head in the sand on these issues, and we need to start talking about them. So. My uh, suggestion would be get a team of experts together and have them start studying what's the best way to move forward with this. I think we're going to have to tear down our current system, which is going to mean providing training and severance pay, which Bernie and I believe Warren uh, both had in their plans. But you'll have severance if you're in the current uh, healthcare industry and you lose your job. You'll have training to move on to something different or something in the same healthcare industry but run with universal healthcare. But, but we are going to fire huge numbers of people. Absolutely, because it's built on a rotten foundation. So it's going to suck in the short term. It's definitely going to affect the healthcare industry, which is a huge part of our economy. But... Less people are going to die, and we're going to save roughly $6 trillion over the course of a decade over what we uh, spend now on our health care. So we can go ahead and use that $6 trillion to do a lot of good things for our economy. And less people will die. Everyone will have better health care. You won't have any copays, and you won't have any deductibles when you go into your doctor. So... Yes, some people are going to lose their jobs. We're going to have to reshuffle that industry. But the good news is none of us are going to have jobs anymore because of automation in the next couple of decades anyway. So we'll still have to deal with it then. <laughs> That's kind of a nihilistic point of view, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, for me, I, I don't want to be the one saying like, this is how to fix it. What I want to do is I want to be the one to say, hey, our system is kind of fucked. Maybe we could go ahead and have experts talk about the best way to move our system forward 
And I think Andy had mentioned it before. It's not going to be right. When we come up with the first, like with healthcare 2.0, it's not going to be right. We're going to have to do 2.1 and 2.2 and keep on readjusting it. But the fact is we have a shitty healthcare system that costs twice as much as every other healthcare system. Well, that's not right. Costs twice as much as the average of the other healthcare systems in the world. And so clearly there's room for improvement. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. I think any anybody who makes maybe less than $200,000 a year agrees that the healthcare system is shot. Right. That it is um, corrupt and does not really benefit most people. I mean, I, I already kind of laid out my, my vision, my plan, what I would, if I were, you know, president or something. And it would look a lot like the, the Pete Buttigieg plan. I would have that lowball government option that everybody is in and you can opt out and replace it with your own personal insurance if that is what you want to do. I think you're automatically enrolled and you can, and, and only being able to opt out if you have your, if you have a replacement insurer. I think that's the way to go. I know we had talked previously about having it sort of be like a you can add, you can stack on top, and that I think is close to the same. But that's my like dream scenario. And I think that's sort of a pipe, not a pipe dream, but I think it's a, a ways off right now. Um, right. I, I, I mean, all this stuff. Is. So I do want to really quickly talk about something that Biden has put forward. And, and listen, I mostly rail on Biden because he's not a good candidate. But I think that his proposal, while not great, is an improvement over our current system, and that is to lower the age that you are eligible to enroll in uh, Medi Medicare. And Man. by lowering it, say, now optionally, so lowering <laughs> right. the, the minimum age, five or ten years or something like that. I think start with five, but if it works, you could lower it another five and, and have it be better. You know, you don't want to go too far. But at an earlier age, being able to choose to enroll in Medicare would pull a lot of, first of all, a lot of the people who are at higher risk in the general insurance pool out of that lowering the costs of the people in the general pool, people like us, it would also take those people and put them into a new pool where they are now some of the lowest risk people. Right, but aren't you aren't you costing taxpayer money, and though? Lower, um, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> not necessarily because, again, you know, you're adding them to this new pool, which lowers the risk there, so it brings their costs down as well. So... It it would balance out a little bit. I think I think you're taking money that's not there. I, I I think you're adding cost to the budget that you would you could tax for or something or or say like we're going to decrease spending somewhere else. But I I don't think that you just add like fifty five year olds to Medicare for free. You see what I'm saying? I, I do, but again, I think that a lot of that is offset by the lower by by the effect of of adding them to that pool, lowering the average costs there. So I, I think there's a somewhat of a balancing effect. I I want to get out of the for profit healthcare industry. I just yeah, think granted, but but again, this is sort of a 
a small, easier to enact change that would sure. improve things. I think I think what you're suggesting is a billion times better than what we've got now. But if like if I'm talking about what my ideal is, I just like I don't think anyone oh, yeah. should make a dollar. Like if you're a doctor, you know, you should uh, go ahead and be able to make an excellent living off of being a doctor. Same thing is true of anyone in the healthcare industry. But it shouldn't be off the backs of those, like, it shouldn't be because corrupt businessmen have uh, been trying to, like, take money from people or deny claims or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, again, and my, I'm not saying that's what my ideal for. situation was the other thing. Right. This is just something that is all on the table right now and would improve things. Yep. And that, I think that's, that's all. Totally fair. I'm not going any further than that. Yep. I'm. Um, I'm sort of on board. I'm on board the same way I'm yeah. going to vote for Biden. I'm not excited about it, but it is significantly better than the alternative. So so I do I do agree. I think it would be reasonably a step in the right direction to say like, all right, healthcare insurance is not gonna be for profit for anyone anymore. Like if you're going to move into this industry that you are going to be like dead even on revenue or mm-hmm. that governments are going to be the ones that are doing it because i i still have a problem with that with that uh saying we're going to make more money off of this than what we are paying out yeah so i mean i think that that's that's a reasonable step in the right direction hey can i uh i just had a thing pop into my head a uh, you know what's it what's it called a uh, oh an idea an idea yes yeah uh, this has happened to me once before okay. uh, <laughs> I've never seen it but I'm excited yeah no it's uh, once in a lifetime man. no twice now <laughs> uh, anyway um, what if instead of a in, so a single payer in health insurance plan does not have to mean the government is the one running that. Jeff Bezos. What if? Oh God. What <laughs> if the there were a company that maybe I mean gets audited by the by the I don't know. But what if it was run by a, a private company that was basically paid by the government? So it's not like their profits are going to be outrageous. But a private company was running that, and the more efficient they were the more money they could make or something like that. You get the incentives right, so on and so forth. Uh, just a brainstorm idea that's popped into my head. Because as of right now, of all of the single-payer systems, there are none that are not through the government. And I that that's probably for a very good reason, but it might be for a bad reason, for all I know. Just an idea. Well, how how's that different from a private insurance well, company? Well, it's it, well, it is a private insurance company, but if it's still a single payer, it's easier to to regulate, I guess, and and to make sure that it's acting ethically. In theory, I don't know. Yeah, I love how we're just doing like healthcare fan fiction here. <laughs> Cuz what I would love is I would love Doctor Who to come in and uh go ahead and come in on the TARDIS. And set up a new healthcare plan that he found out about in another galaxy, in a different time. No, I think uh, here's right. here's what I think. 
there are bajillion problems with all this stuff. That's why I didn't want to say like, I'll do this and this and this. What I think is we got to start over with some basic guidelines of how we want healthcare to work in this country. And we can go ahead and turn to, again, literally every other developed country in the world for examples of how to do this and start out there and then get some data figure out what works, what doesn't work, and then adjust. And I think the people who should be in charge of that are healthcare officials. They should not be politicians. And they should be like and they should be working class people. You know, like get get people involved who like have a uh, have a stock in making sure the system works for everybody, not just for people who are looking to profit off of it. Some some good proletariat comrades. Yes. Oh lord. Criminy. Um, okay, another <laughs> another question. Another question, and this one is is just I, I think a good like roundtable question. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say probably the last question. We can always go ahead and uh, do healthcare uh, part trace. There you go. You no, that's want, fine. I, but um, but but what other countries' healthcare systems would you like to specifically? Would you like to model a new healthcare system for America off of? Like top one, two, or three other healthcare systems in the world, basically, in your opinion. I think Puerto Rico is pretty good. They're can, a different country, right? I heard that from uh, Donald Trump. Uh, they are not. So, so, so for me, uh, it's it's USA, USA, and USA. So I I still think that like we have the best doctors in the world. If you can pay for it, you can get the the world class care. Sure. If you can't pay for it, it's pretty shitty care. I don't want to throw that out. Okay. So I think that the way that we move forward is not by imitating other people. I think it's by finding our own way to make this work. It's clearly not working. Um, and I don't I don't want to sound like I'm saying that it is working. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to preserve the quality of care that we have and the the scientific community that we have and the the world class technology that we have i don't want to throw that out with with the bathwater sure i think that's fair what we have is not working and i think there will still be a place for capitalism in healthcare above and beyond that base level i think if you want to pay for things like a shorter waiting period for specialists. I'm I'm fine with that as long as you're not cutting the line. Maybe we you like if you're a doctor you should be able to go into private practice still and not work uh for the government. You go ahead and work for yourself and set up your own appointments. I'm fine with right. all you, that. You you are talking about being billed twice though essentially though because you're not getting a refund no. for not using the public Absolutely option. not. You are not uh, you so, will still yeah. like like all the other taxes that you end up paying that you don't agree with. You're still going to have to pay for that, and if you want to use it, you still have it. We're not taking away anything from you. If you want to do something additional, that's up to you. Uh, so there there are a few people in the country, like one or two, that really don't like it when you tax them more. Well, I don't I don't know. I mean, you might have heard of them. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Uh, tell you what, let's go ahead and put a little budget into the healthcare system where we send them a box of Kleenex once a month 
so they can go ahead and cry into them. I do not <laughs> give a minute. Wow. So I would say three that really hold a lot of interest for me. First is New Zealand. I think they have a, a very interesting blend of public and private influences in their healthcare system. Um, Singapore does this fascinating thing where they basically, um, and I'm probably going to get this wrong in a way, not quite right, but basically they, they subsidize by the procedure. And so it, it works out in a way that People are, people use the healthcare system. They get, they get what they want. They, they get their, their important operations taken care of. They have good access to higher end things as well. Um, and then finally, Canada. If I were thinking about this in terms of where I, influences outside of the United States that I would want to draw on to create my own system, the Canadian system is a fairly solid one. It's certainly not perfect, but also I think you can take a lot of lessons from from the Canadian people. I think they're similar enough to Americans that that you can expect things to function somewhat similarly. Did you know at one point in Canada there was a reality show that held a contest for the greatest Canadian of all time? And everybody in the country got to vote, and there were several million votes that got submitted. And who they chose was the guy who enacted universal health care in Canada. The citizens of the country really? chose that guy as their number one Canadian of all time. Because I know you hear about, like, people complain about their healthcare systems all the time. Like, both here and abroad. But I think it's very much a, like, nobody makes fun of my little brother but me sort of mentality where, like, yeah, there might be frustrations because that's what you've got to work with. But at the end of the day, these people do enjoy these this healthcare that they have. Maybe they want it to be better. And there's always going to be... It's never going to be perfect. You're always going to be working to improve these things. Back check, back check, back check. Let us raise monuments all over Canada. Monuments in the form of schools and hospitals and libraries, in decent homes for people to live in in decent roads, in decent conditions, in a Medicare program, in adequate health services for every man, woman, and child, irrespective of their income, their age, or their physical condition. These are monuments of which we can be proud. These are monuments that in the day to, days to come, our children will see them, and they will bless us and thank us for those kinds of monuments. In 2004, the Canadian Broadcasting Channel aired a show called The Greatest Canadian. During its six-week run, 1.2 million votes were cast to pick the Canadian who had the most profound impact on the country's history. When the votes were tallied, Tommy Douglas, a Scottish-Canadian politician who served as Premier of Saskatchewan from 1944 to 1961, and leader of the New Democratic Party from 1961 to 1971, was declared the winner. Other interesting things about Tommy Douglas, in addition to him being known as the father of Canadian Medicare, although, I guess if you were in Canada, he'd just be known as the father of Medicare. Anyway, other interesting facts about him are that his grandson is Kiefer Sutherland, 
and apparently he wrote his master's thesis on how he endorsed eugenics. So, um... Tommy Douglas, everyone! Back check, back check, back check. So, so I, I do want to go back and say, actually, that I do like Portugal's drug abuser rehabilitation policy. Mm. So I do like that. I think that that would be that would be something that could help a lot with the opioid crisis in the USA. Uh, I think that that would be something that would like turn turn that problem around quite a bit. What what do they do that you like? So what they do is they decriminalize the abuse of uh, things like, you know, your opioids and um, all of your your scheduled um, drugs. And instead they treat the uh, abuse as a medical problem. And so they, they give you like a, a safe place to... Um, be overseen by scientists. You you'll receive therapy. They do administer drugs like I think it was Suboxone or Naloxone. I'll, I'll look up the the right one. Um, but the 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 one that is like an inhibitor for heroin. But they oh, wow. but they also you know give uh give you clean needles and like a safe place to stay. Yeah, and they treat the person instead of you know locking you away in jail and saying like you know you're bad you need to be punished by society. I don't know. I feel like the war on drugs has been working pretty well here. I think that sounds like another yeah. episode. <laughs> it's no, no. You're absolutely right. I think we need to rethink what we think of healthcare too, because for me, when we have universal healthcare, it's going to have to include mental issues as well. And oh, like even time. just like a little bit of therapy for everybody would go down real smooth. It would probably <laughs> help with a number of issues we have in this country. Uh, I am going to say my top three are uh, Denmark, Norway, and Switzerland, just because the uh, Legatum Prosperity Index in 2019 found those to be the three best healthcare systems in the world. But no, I think probably the the best one, the closest one, the closest That's a one, good reason. <laughs> the closest one, both physically and to what we're looking for, I think is Canada. There's a, a lot to be looked at there. I'm not saying it's exactly what we'd want, but like I said, at the end of the day, I don't want me to be the one to making this decisions. I don't want either you, either of you to, to be making the decisions either. So instant fact check. I am right. It's called... Buprenorphine, but the the brand names are Suboxone and Naloxone. Nice. Wow, that was good. Buprenorphine. I would not have ever gotten that right. Um, well, I, this is what I studied in college. Yeah. You know, there's one mm. other uh, drug that I wanted to talk about real quick before we end, um, and it's this drug called Precious Momofen. Have you guys heard of uh, this? Beautiful. Precious Moments. Um, well, so I have... Uh, several family members that are in the healthcare industry. None of them are directly treating uh, COVID nineteen right now. But for example, like in in my mom's unit, there there was a person on the staff who was tested positive for COVID and like has since been removed from the staff, obviously, but might have been exposed. But but it's been enough time that if she was going to get sick, that she would have by now. So I'm just really grateful for 
you know, everyone in my family being healthy and still staying safe and, you know, through all of this, uh, trying stuff that is going on that, uh, you know, that we can continue to stay safe. So that's awesome. That. I've never met her, but I, I swear, like every time you talk about her, I just like in the back of my head, am I, I'm like, man, Pat's mom is a bad like a she's she's awesome i know i bring her up a lot but uh, no that's she's, great she's a badass so i mean my mom is a badass too but more like crocheting <laughs> is more her badassery your mom is awesome your mom's a lot of fun to play euchre with yes she is <laughs> well so are you though to be i fair. am i am very fun especially if you like to lose oh we should get a little euchre club Mm. I don't, I don't uh, actually, is it me or but, you? Do you want to go next, um, Andy, or should I go? <laughs> sure, I'll go. I got I got two kind of... So I had somebody at work today, uh, a co-worker of mine that is really starting to get on my nerves, say to me, he, he goes, oh, well, you wear your mask every day. I'm like, yeah, because I don't <laughs> want to take any chances, and this is a global pandemic, and he goes... Well, I guess if you're going to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> the science Kool-Aid. I was like, oh my god, I can't, I, I don't talk to me anymore. Just turn around, don't talk to me, dude. I just, I can't, I, he sits right in front of me. He thinks, he, he want, I, I, I'm not rude enough, I'm not going to like be rude to my coworker. And so he thinks that we're like, get along, and I am s close to losing it with him. So, I mean, I've dealt with a ton of these different people. I think your best way through it is just like be honest with them. Like, yeah, I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid. Like I I know like I totally respect uh, what what you're saying, man, and it's, yeah, but it's I your don't. choice, I guess. Yeah, well then don't then don't say that. Yeah. But I'm just saying a lot of those people, they'll respect you more if you're just upfront with them, not rude, but just like give like if you have facts as to why like it's the truth. What I found on Facebook it really works well is when they say stuff like that. I'm like, oh, what are, what sources are you pulling from? Where where are you reading? I'd, I'd totally go ahead and read any article you send me. And then when they send you an article, go ahead and find the 20 different articles that refute his bullshit and send it back to him. Like, I'm really I, like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but it turns out that the article you sent me was wrong because this, 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 and this. But like, if you engage with him, He's not going to be, I think you'll have a much more pleasant working experience and he'll know, yeah, you have different political views than he does, but like either he lives with it or he doesn't. And then it's his problem and not your problem. Yeah. I mean, if it were someone that I care about, I would bother to try to. I just think you have to care about him because he sits next to you. I can ignore him for the most part. Uh, or I also am pretty good. I have a my, I have a pretty strong smile and nod game. <laughs> All right, I'll just internalize it and then take it out on you guys. Nice. Yeah, sounds good. We should ooh, we should have him on the podcast. <gasps> no, and, and destroy him. <laughs> just just utterly no, he's, wreck him. He's a douche. He, like he's just not a the kind of person that I really want to try to get along with in the first oh, place. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I don't know if you guys have heard have heard this, but um, actually the coronavirus is a big hoax. I did hear that. But the good, the good news is the president never said it was a hoax. Uh, right. What they're saying now is the hype is a hoax. Right. Right. Oh, I know. I have to deal with... My favorite thing has been on Facebook. These people will post... 
the exact transcript of him saying the thing that they do, that he didn't say and be like, well, that period should be a question mark. Like that doesn't it doesn't matter. Just don't don't tell people to inject themselves with disinfectants, man. Yeah, like if you have this very bad. dumb idea, just jot it down in the margin <laughs> of your your speech and ask later. Right, yeah. and go ahead and talk to the doctors about it in the hallway. After no. your international press conference. He didn't tell people to do it. He was exploring the possibility of doing it, which is not quite the same. <laughs> like, well, I mean, just ignoring the injecting disinfectant aspect of it, a press conference is not a place to be brainstorming new ideas. Here's here's what I always think. Have you ever heard this thing like on, you know how shows, TV shows sometimes take place in, I don't know, courtrooms and how lawyers say, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. I feel like <laughs> yeah. this is doubly that situation. If you don't know the answer to the question you're about to ask on national TV, international TV, don't ask it because there are now stories like I can, I'll go ahead and put it in the doobly-doo. There is a Fox News story, which is like a gold mine for me, uh, <laughs> of poison control centers around the country that have gone ahead and been inundated with so many calls that they can't handle the volume anymore because people are drinking bleach and injecting themselves with poison because the president said it and they thought he was recommending to do it. I'm not saying that he was. What I'm saying is... These people are dumb, and I don't think people deserve to die because they are either A, dumb, or B, stupid enough to believe the president when he talks. So, I agree with your points, but I think that your source material might be just a little bit off. I don't know if it's the court. I know that lesson of don't ask questions you don't already know the answer to from hmm. the never-ending story. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> An important distinction. <laughs> I remember that nothing is in there, and I love that rock eater. Uh, oh, the rock biter. He's so good. Anyway. Yeah, and Fal uh, Falcor, the, the luck oh, and the Well, I which, always wanted to Falcor. Like, that was, uh, that yeah. was a childhood dream. I, I think and the, the speedy snail. I would love to get a Falcor in our in the, mm. the Dragons campaign. That yeah, really and he's talking about D&D &D people. Um, okay, yeah. I guess uh, I think that's to me then. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say I have talked about a lot, arguably too much. Um, but I've been doing a lot of cooking uh, for this here coronavirus. Today I made homemade loaf of bread, which was delicious. And I made a beef stew that I simmered for about three and a half hours. And the beef was super tender and oh, so good. So good. So anyway, I have been looking to YouTube for a lot of inspiration on cooking. And there's a guy that I absolutely love. His channel is called Nat's What I Reckon. And what he does, he's like this punk rock guy. Uh, he has long hair. He has tattoos. Just like a, a really like interesting guy. He did like different comedy and like skateboarding sketches and stuff like that on his channel before the quarantine. But now what he's done is turn to cooking videos. And he's like the last guy you would ever expect to do a cooking video. And they're phenomenal. Nice. So I'll go ahead and uh, put a couple of those in the doobly doo when we're done here. But yeah, other than that, uh, I just been living the dream. It's gotten cold again. It's gotten rainy. So I haven't been out as much. I don't know. I've been playing Minecraft. So anyway, I'd say this is a good episode. Anything else uh, before I bomb you guys with my catchphrase? Oh, you have a new one? Yes. I've been trying to come up with one, 
Here it goes. I really need to come up with a catchphrase. I lied. It's the same one. Oh, man. Okay, bye. I guess best we can hope for is that maybe we gave you guys something to think about that. All right. Love you. Bye. Because <laughs> you sure, sure didn't learn anything. <laughs> uh, you did You did us a bamboozle. Outro music. So, well, um, if I real, I don't know. Here's my thing, Pat. Um, so, um, so, so of course, you know, just going to, but, but it does. Oh, okay. Hold on. (laughs) This is going to be so much fun to edit. Uh, Yeah. Hi, hi later, Nathan, having to edit this.